0: These words that I read a moment ago from Ephesians 5:25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For me, these words are some of the most delightful words to ever grace the pages of Scripture. And I declare to you that within these words, as nowhere else in all of the scriptures, that Christ himself comes to live within the souls of husbands. In these words, delighting the hearts and the lives of the wives and making marriage the most precious relationship that mankind could ever imagine or hope for. That's a tall order, but it's true. And I know that that is a strong statement. But this is God's desire and His plan for us. How can we know for sure that this is God's plan and His desire for us? Where do the Scriptures tell us that that's true? Listen to these words all the way back Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. So then... With those words, we can begin to know for sure that it is God's plan and His desire that a man would have a helpmeet to walk with Him. And if and to the degree that we husbands pursue after this kind of loving relationship that's spoken about here with our wives, then we absolutely can be assured that the very same Spirit within the love relationship that we enjoy with Christ, will also be within the relationship of our marriage. God guarantees it. And yes, I know that those words are mystical. Completely outside the realms of natural understanding. And that's why so many of natural minds of men never quite comprehend these words. And we can see the proof of that being just played out daily within the lives of people throughout our world where relationships just come and go with every wind that blows. And yes, it would be safe to say that all men everywhere do want and hope for the kind of loving relationship that's spoken about in these words. But such love as this has only one possible entranceway into the hearts of men. No other. And that's why so much of the rest of the world will never understand it. There is only one entranceway of this kind of love into the hearts of men, and that's through the salvation that's provided by the Lord Jesus Christ and through the indwelling of His precious Spirit. There is no other way, no other possibility. Even the wisest of men and women among us fail to comprehend the concept of love. And again, that is so evident because it comes and it goes so quickly in their relationships. And that's true, by the way, whether or not those wise men and women are believers or unbelievers. Love itself, the concept of love, is is simply an incomprehensible concept. But you and I, if we do, and as we do, have the Holy Spirit abiding within us, then we at least have made that first step, that first step, towards comprehending the depths of the meaning of love. Now, the word itself, love, uh, is a very simple word, it would seem. But whether it's expressed in the pages of these scriptures, or in books that we read, or even if it is passionately spoken within a relationship, it has a confusion that goes with it, both for the one saying it and for the one that's hearing it and that's because there are so many different forms and and ways and of love especially depending upon the context and the people involved and yes even those who do not have christ as their savior they can sincerely and very intensely experience some of those forms of love certainly most all people to some measure or another can feel the form of love or express the form of love called phileo love, that brotherly love, the kind of love that we show and feel towards friends and neighbors. There's another kind of love called storge love, the Greek word storge. That's the kind of love that parents feel towards children and children towards their parents in the family relationships. And certainly unbelievers have strong family ties. And most all the people of the earth seek after and enjoy the physical kind of love, the eros love. It's mostly emotional and physical. But this kind of love that we're talking about here, agape love, it's a very different word. It has a very different nature and it has a very different way of expressing itself. And yes, we feel and experience all those other kinds of loves, And so commonly that we can imagine their meaning, but not this, not this. It's a different kind of experience, agape love. This kind of love comes from an unfathomable source. And it will forever remain difficult, especially to the natural comprehension. Its unique difference begins with the manner in which it comes to us. While the scriptures are not explicit on the exact definition of this word, we know that from its usage, it is uniquely a very part of the essence of God himself. It's with agape love. Not the other forms of love, but agape love. That God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son to come and save us from our sins. This is the kind of love that he expressed in John 3.16. In John 21, when Jesus was asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? This was the word he was using. Do you agape love me? But it's also that word agape love that Peter could not understand. He had been walking with Jesus for some three years, but he couldn't fathom the meaning of it at the time. And so he could only say back to Jesus, well, I have brotherly affection for you. Phileo love. He could not comprehend at the moment this agape love. And again, as we see in John 3.16, God can love both believers and unbelievers alike with this same agape love. And let me mention to you, He expects the same of us because He commands you and me to love our neighbors with this same kind of agape love. Whether our neighbor is a believer or not, we're to love them all the same. But though we as believers can love an unbeliever with agape love, it really is not possible for an unbelieving soul to reciprocate back to us with that same agape love. That neighbor that we are loving, they cannot love us back if they are unbelievers not in the same manner. These scriptures seem to be emphatic that agape love is only possible for those who first have Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, abiding within them. Agape love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Let me read this for you from Galatians 5. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is love, agape love. It's not any of the other three. It's agape love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God's use of that visual analogy of the fruit of the Spirit is intentional so that you and I can understand this concept better. A fruit is born out from the branch and the vine of its origin. And so we know that this agape love then can only come from that branch. Through that branch, from that vine. John chapter 15. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. I want you to bear much fruit. But it's got to come from within the vine. He says there in John chapter 15 that if we are broken loose from that vine... We cannot bear that fruit. And so if we ever expect to have and to express this agape form of love, this godly form of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, then we'll have to have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. And it is if and to the degree that we do that that vine then will provide us the branches with what we'll need to bear that fruit of love and to express it to the to the next person that we come into contact with. It is not, let me repeat this again, it is not a part of our natural personality. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's not a human ability that is owned by us or manifested by our own effort or emotion. And so as God commands you and me to love one another, believer, loving believer... Husband loving wife. It comes up, wells up out of the Holy Spirit that is within us. Let me say this. As it concerns these words that we'll be speaking about today and over the next few weeks. A husband cannot love his wife in this way. With agape love. If he does not have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within him. So that's the first step. You have to have Christ. Now, a question. I've used these very same words on numerous occasions to counsel husbands. Many of them may not be saved. Now, I would ask them, are you saved? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Most of them have said yes. But sometimes I was left to wonder. In those cases, let me ask, were my words wasted Was my counsel wasted on them if they didn't have Christ? I've thought about that a lot as I would counsel those folks. And perhaps my words were wasted on many occasions. I I certainly would not expect an unbeliever to have a godly response. It's not possible to have an ungodly person give a godly response. But that being said, I've concluded that I ought to always press on ahead and give all of these words to believers and unbelievers alike. Counsel both with the same words. Why? It's because these words contain the very essence of the gospel within them. And for that reason alone, I ought to use these words. And so I do. Another question. In these words, as God commands the husband to love his wife with agape love, is it all right for a husband to also love his wife with those other forms of love? The phileo love, that brotherly kindness, that affectionate love. Or the storge love, the familial, the family kind of love. The eros love. Is it okay for the husband to love his wife with those kinds of love also? in addition to agape love? And the answer is yes. Yes. Because all of those are part of God's affections that He has given to His children to show towards one another. The most well-defined blessings of love and the most familiar expressions of love, they're given to us in what we have come to know as the love chapter. And I know that you're familiar with most of that, but I want to read those for you. That's First Corinthians 13. If you'd like to turn there these are and mark this spot it's really worth keeping a marker there this is first Corinthians 13 i'm going to begin with verse 4 love listen this is agape love this is not phileo love or any of the other kinds this is agape love love is patient love is kind love does not envy or boast love is not arrogant Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, never fails. That's a tall order. Do you love this way? Do you love in this way? Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you arrogant? Are you rude? Do you envy? Do you boast? Do you insist on your own way? Are you irritable? Resentful? Love bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Never fails. Such precious words. And yes, we who have Christ dwelling within us are actually able to love all people with this kind of love. But nowhere is this blessed kind of love, this agape love, more precious and more wonderfully enjoyed than in the intimate relationship of marriage. I testify to that. I enjoy every moment of my life. With my dear wife. Two verses readily come to my mind as I ponder this very special kind of unique relationship of love within a marriage, this agape love within a marriage. Both of these verses were given back at the beginning of Scripture, at the very beginning of the existence of of men. They're found in Genesis 2. And I'd like you to turn there, if you would. Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 21. God had already created Adam and he had been watching the way Adam was going about his day. And he said, in effect, there's something wrong here. So verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Beautiful verses. Now, the first of these verses that I want us to consider is verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, may I repeat a statement that I make often from this pulpit. And that is that God never wastes even one word of these scriptures. All of these words, each one of them, is intentional. They all carry with them a wealth of precious meaning. Now, because Adam and Eve had no earthly father and mother, we know that God gave these words for the benefit of all who would follow after Adam and Eve, their children and their children's children, continuing on to you and me, and everyone then will come after us. And these words are plain and simple for us to understand as believers. As children are born and grow into adulthood, they are under the direction and the authority of their parents. But once they enter into the relationship of marriage, all of that changes. The husband and the wife must leave the direction and the authority of their father and mother immediately and become one with each other under their own authority, under the direction and the guidance of the husband. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. May I say loudly and clearly to all husbands and wives and to their fathers and mothers, God is emphatic about this. Notice that he repeated it again over in the book of Ephesians. said it first there in Genesis, now over in the book of Ephesians. God is emphatic about this. There is absolutely no room in the family of a man and his wife for the authority and the guidance of the parents. Advice, sometimes yes. But only as a matter of loving counsel and never, never as a matter of authority. And may I put it as kindly to us parents as possible. Parents, we need to get out of the marriage relationship of our children. You and I do not belong there and God will not treat our interference with gentle hands. It's as simple as that. That's on the authority of this word of God. But listen, also, husbands and wives, do not dare invite the authority and the guidance of your parents back into your life after your marriage. It will always be a recipe for destruction. Always. The next words in that verse, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. A man must hold fast to his wife and never let her go. Neither in the matters of this daily life nor in a permanent separation. We can see clearly in these verses, especially the ones that follow, how Adam violated these very words. He somehow moved himself back. He abdicated his responsibility and he allowed his wife and the guidance of Satan, to beguile his wife and to tempt her into sinning. And every man and woman and child ever since has suffered because Adam did not hold fast to his wife. He did not step out in front of his wife and say to Satan, Get away from her. Husbands, hold fast to your wife. The next words, and then they became one flesh. May I say simply that I have come to realize the wonder and the enjoyment of these words over these past 44 years of marriage to my wife. Almost 44. In these words, we are given a simple math equation. One that most mathematicians are unable to reconcile. That being 1 plus 1 equals 1. I love that equation. And yes, most of the rest of the time, one plus one is two. But not in this special relationship of marriage, of a husband and wife. How can that be? The answer is a a mysterious one. But it's simple and it's true. And simply put, when I came into this world, I was not quite a whole one person. Remember the first words that the Lord said about Adam? It is not good that man be alone. I was not one whole person. Same was true with my wife. We looked and we functioned as if we were a complete one person, but we were not. It took the marriage of us, almost ones, to make one complete one. Does that sound mystical? It is. It's also romantic. Don't you think? But it's also absolutely true. These words tell us so. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. Yes, I know that many a person, even preachers, have relegated these words down to some form of analogy or, or metaphor. But they're wrong. They're wrong to preach such. This It's mystical, yes, but it's real. It's as real as real can get. And it really works. My wife and I are one. We are alike. We think alike. We love alike. And when it's necessary for us to be apart from each other's company for even just a little while, we're so uncomfortable. That special oneness provides a condition within the relationship that's found in no other. I'm running a little late, but I want to cover one other point. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were naked, but were not ashamed. Folks, yes, this also may be considered an analogy or a metaphor. It is in a sense, but it's also very, very true. In no other relationship... Can this take place? That one person can walk naked before another person and not be ashamed. And these words are not just speaking about them being physically naked. They were, yes, yeah, but that's not what God is speaking altogether about here. These words include all those many little details of life, especially when they're translated onto to us husbands and wives. Every little detail of life, some of those, many of those, are often foolish or childish or whatever else. All those events that take place all during our day. But as a husband and wife take up this oneness that God intends, and they spend those intimate hours of each day secluded away in the privacy of their homes, they get to know each other with depths that no other relationship affords. And all those many little details of life that can have within them occurrences and missteps and appearances of foolishness and childishness and embarrassing moments, they aren't. They aren't. And it's because we're one. We truly do love each other. And we're able to respond to those difficult moments with love and concern and consolation and hope and help, and not criticism or unkindness. I need to close. I've run out of time. May I close with these words again from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy nor boast. It is not arrogant nor rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Let's pray.